You're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast for Wednesday, August the 2nd. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro, and on tonight's show, we have a fantastic interview with Sean Doyle, the host and creator of Jays from the Couch, one of the best baseball Blue Jays podcasts you will find across North America, followed by a phenomenal roundtable consisting of three brilliant baseball minds to entertain you throughout this podcast. I've got Dr. Christina Real, Brendan Panikar of Jays Journal, and Jason Woodell of Prospects1500.com. So the Blue Jays prevailed 5-1 to one against the Chicago Whites to close off what was a series that began inauspiciously, but turned out to be exactly what the team needed to create some momentum for whatever reason you believe they still play baseball. For some of you, that's accepting the fact that they've been eliminated from a wild card race with 53 games to go. For me, notwithstanding your rose-colored accusations, for me, this team is demonstrating that they can still battle and compete and offer fans a dignified value for their money when it comes to watching them day in, day out. I mean, we're talking about almost two months' worth of the baseball season, folks. So to write them off at this stage in the game is not only warranted by virtue of how they've performed, and a quick glance at the schedule of what's coming up will reveal that it doesn't get easier, especially when they face off against the Houston Astros and New York Yankees. But know this, they are competing, and there are players on this team like Josh Donaldson who are starting to show that even though this has been their anus horribilis, now they're ready to go ahead and demonstrate their traditional worth to this team, to demonstrate what they're capable of doing as players who have their pride. And considering the way Jay Happ pitched this afternoon, I think many of you will agree that the future isn't all that daunting when you consider that Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, Guestrada, and Jay Happ will all be back to front what will be a very effective starting rotation in 2018. Yeah, they're a little older, but considering they were young to begin with for the most part, this is a pitching staff that clearly will allow the team to compete if certain pots are added, if certain trades are made. And that's precisely why we're going to lead off the show with some wisdom called from one of the best analysts, writers, and bloggers in the city, Sean Doyle from Jays from the Couch followed by a round table that I promise will keep you glued to your seat. That is, if you're sitting. If you're standing, be careful. My next guest is the host and creator of the Jays from the Couch podcast, one of my personal favorite Blue Jays podcasts, I might add. Sean Doyle is on the show. Sean, thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I know this is a long time coming. Uh, we've been going back and forth and, and talking about these Blue Jays and life and all sorts of other great philosophical things. At least I'd like to think they're philosophical. And now that I have you here, I need to ask you point blank. And I've been wanting to ask you this question for a while because I know you spend and have spent a lot of time following this team, writing about this team, living and dying by the blue, as they say, for a long stretch of time. Is this 2017 season perhaps the most ridiculous or bizarre season you can remember in recent memory? It's funny. That's an interesting question because I think if you go back just a few years, I mean, you know, first of all, I've been a fan since, you know, George Bell, Lloyd Mosby, Jesse Barfield, right? And I remember imitating their batting stances as a kid and all that stuff. And and so I've, I've seen some, some weird seasons. Uh, I've suffered through the J.P. Ricciardi years, as a lot of people have. So, you know, 
as far as bizarre seasons go, you know, I don't know if this is necessarily the most bizarre, but it's certainly been the most unlucky, or I don't want to say disappointing because, it, you know, you're not necessarily disappointed because so many things have gone wrong, but they make it makes sense why they've gone wrong. Guys have been hurt and all of that stuff. But as far as the amount of expectation on a team and then watching it not pan out, it's been one of, I guess, in that sense, one of the more bizarre ones for sure. Well, and even as we speak, Sean, Miguel Montero is now on the DL. I think he might be the 23rd or the 24th player this year. At what point, and, and I'm wondering where is that tipping point where injuries start becoming a substitute for maybe player regression under underachievement? That's a good question. You know, and, and it's funny as you mentioned that I have to worry that I don't move too quickly in the chair I'm sitting in or I may end up on the DL. Um, you know, the way things are going, it's not just the team. I guess that will start bleeding into people who cover the team as well. But, um, you know, it's it's tough to say which of these things has had more of an impact as far as player regression. I mean, and I think the more, more obvious example of that would be Troy Tulowitzki. But as on in the same breath, you have to talk about injuries. And do we have a real sense of injury being more impactful or regression being more impactful? And in all honesty, I don't know that we can come to a conclusion one way or another definitively. I don't think you can say that Troy Tulowitzki is regressing to the point you know that twitter would lead you to believe um but at the same time we can't necessarily just blame injuries for um for his season as an example i mean you know we look at josh donaldson and several people would have said well you know what he's not the player he used to be but he's been in all honesty i think he's been playing hurt for a good part of the season he's starting to come around now as we're talking uh he hits his third home run in three days so he's coming around. I don't know that necessarily regression can be pointed at in his case. Jose Bautista, you can probably point mm-hmm. to regression given that he hasn't really been injured. Um, but so, you know, it, there is no one way to kind of explain the season. And I think that's the the, the bizarre part. If you, if you want to look for one, I think that's it. You just, you just can't point your finger in one direction, really. Well, and as ominous storm clouds grow in the background and I can hear the crackling of thunder, literally. Um, It's interesting to note that let's turn our attention away for a moment from what we can control rather than what we can't. And we know injuries are inevitable. And this year's edition of the baseball club has suffered mightily in that regard. Some of them just as a result of players getting older, others involving free cap and stance, like stepping on Crone's leg when, in Tulo's case. But in some ways, I think you'll agree there are certain players who are, quote, injury prone for a reason. And we can't change that. But what we can change is what happens, for example, at the trade deadline. So what I want to know is the definitive Doyle perspective on how fans should look at what the Jays did or did not do at this trade deadline and what implications that might have for next year, in your opinion. Well, it's tough because I think we going into the trade deadline, we had heard a good number of uh, the I guess, players available, um, and they didn't go anywhere. So, you know, we're talking about Marco Estrada, who now all of a sudden the the team is talking about perhaps extending beyond this season, which is, you know, a bit of a a 180, so to speak. Um, 
then you you know you'd look at Hap and even Bautista. People thought, well, maybe he'll go, and you know they conveniently forgot about his ten and five rights and all of that stuff. Um, so, and on the one hand, if you if you were somebody screaming for a, a rebuild and all of that stuff, I don't think first of all you would have you know necessarily had a good grasp on on how this team is built. But if you're one of those people, then you might be disappointed because when when you talk about a rebuild. You're talking about selling off guys, major talents, and getting in prospect halls, uh, much in the way that Oakland does it seemingly every year. That doesn't happen this mm. this July, and it wouldn't have happened anyway. However, some people I think were kind of hoping for it. Um, if you were a fan who was looking at competing this year, I think as well, you may not have necessarily had a a good grip on how this team is looking this year. And so you probably would have been disappointed in that regard. But if you're a fan who is a fan of baseball and, and baseball moves, and I have to give credit to the front office of this Toronto Blue Jays team, Ross Atkins is doing a great job because he's pulling off deals that are smart. I mean, you go back to the Melvin Upton deal. I mean, the Blue Jays got him for next to nothing. Um, and that surprised everybody. The trade that uh, sent Drew Hutchinson to Pittsburgh and brought in Liriano, as well as two other very good prospects as well. And then here we are flipping. I, I, can't, I don't think you can call it flipping, but sending mm-hmm. Liriano and getting um, Teoscar Hernandez, who could be plugged in today in the in a major league outfield um i think that and the years of control that go along with that i think it's a very very smart baseball move and i should note um we talked about this on the jays from the couch podcast the most recent episode but it's very interesting to see the toronto blue jays kind of flex their muscle uh their financial muscle which is you know fans have been screaming for years about spend 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 and here they are they use money they took on nori aoki to uh, I guess get a better prospect in return in, in Hernandez. So that's a very smart move. As far as the Joe Smith move goes, some people may, you know, not be overly excited about it. But I don't sleep on Thomas Pannone. He's a a great looking uh, pitcher who can strike out a ton. Um, but I think that may have been more of a move to help out Joe Smith get him home to Cleveland. Um, so overall. Uh, I, I think, you know, depending on what type of fan you are, you're going to be disappointed with this trade deadline uh, because, you know, it may look like they didn't do a whole lot, but um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot that they could do. Ross Atkins would tell you all the pieces we had weren't really performing well anyway. So I think all things considered, I think it was a good trade deadline. I'm speaking with the host and creator of the Jays from the Couch podcast, Sean Doyle. Sean, I noticed that you are a member of the uh, Internet Baseball Writers Association of America and Baseball Bloggers Alliance, which, apart from being infinitely cool people who love finding this type of material on social media, where did you get your passion for this? I to know from certain guests that I invite on the show, what made baseball so fascinating to you that you've been involved this heavily, body and soul? Oh, man. You know, people wonder, and my wife <laughs> asks the same question, Uh, (laughs) she's not quite sure she doesn't get it herself Um, I think Ari to be honest with you I think it just comes from I guess the love of baseball itself Uh, you know in my in my personal life I'm a junior high English teacher and so obviously writing and all of that stuff kind of is in my wheelhouse anyway 
Um, but then when you start to just look at baseball and you start to appreciate it and, and trying to teach it as well to, to my little guy, I have an 11 year old and, and when the time comes for our three month old as well, it, you start to see it in a different way. We, you know, baseball is such a metaphor, I think sometimes for, for life. Um, and you know, everywhere you could look uh, in a million different angles, um, the, the players themselves have been inspirations. You know, Jackie Robinson and Lou Gehrig, and and uh, Mickey Mantle was one of my favorites growing up. And and the fact is that baseball does provide you with good life lessons. You know, I tell my son, well, why is baseball so great? Because tomorrow's a new day to start again. So if you make a mistake, it's okay. You know, and you learn from that mistake, and you go into your next at bat or your next game um, with that information. Um, and so. Things like that that you apply to life, I think, are what kind of got me hooked on baseball. And then, I, of course, the, the inner workings of the game, I find baseball, more so than other sports, is like chess on a, on a field of dirt and grass. Um, I love that part of it. And then, you know, you mentioned um, the Baseball Bloggers Alliance and the International Baseball Writers Association. Things like that, I love talking to other people and their passions for baseball. And I think baseball may be one of the only sports where you can have a million different opinions and in a sense everybody's right um, and it's so fascinating because there's things you don't think of there are things that other people see that you don't and there's so much um, so many nuances to the game so it's, for me it's just I find it incredibly fascinating for all of those reasons Sean I am completely united in your perspective in that regard in terms of how the game affected you and, and the life's lessons that one can discover from following the game. Tell my listeners how to follow you, what you're up to, and what you have on the horizon with your Jace from the Couch podcast. Absolutely. So it started with uh, jacefromthecouch.com. I decided to, for some reason, just go out, go ahead and bite the bullet and uh, start my own site, jacefromthecouch.com. We've got a great team over there. And, you know, I just finished telling you about why I like baseball so much. And the cool thing about um, Jay's from the couch is that all of our writers have the same um, kind of philosophy about baseball and the same passion for the game. Um, you know, we, we all have our, our full-time jobs, but it's something that we love so much. And, and so hopefully that comes across in our, our content and our, and our writing. Um, it's a great little site to go to. Um, you know, we're not one of these, the condescending sites or the, the site that will yell at you if you have a different opinion and make you, you know, talk down or nose at you. It's, you know, it's a welcoming environment. So jaysfromthecouch.com, check us out there. And we're on Twitter at jaysfromcouch. And basically everywhere you go on iTunes, our podcast is there, Google Play. If you just look for Jays from the Couch, our audio, Jays from the Couch radio, you'll type it in the internet and you'll find it and hopefully be pleased with it. Sean, this was an absolute pleasure. I'm glad you could take the time to join my show and more importantly, let everyone know how to find you. JaceFromTheCouch.com at JaceFromCouch. Sean Doyle, thanks for your time today. Thank you so much, Ari. Next up on our roundtable, we have for you Jay's journal writer and blogger, Brendan Panikar, minor league guru and writer for Prospects1500.com, Jason Woodell, and sports psychologist, Dr. Christina Real joining us. I appreciate you all coming around and gathering on what will be a very long off day as the Blue Jays, after beating the Chicago White Sox, have some time to think about what's happened. And I'm wondering, I want to start with you, Brendan. How do you feel about the recent decision that was announced regarding the ticket 
increase. It's substantial, I believe, in the neighborhood of 7%. What's your perspective on the business model and the effect that it could have on the perception of this baseball team in a year where they've clearly underachieved and disappointed so many of the faithful? Yeah, I mean, um, personally, on my end, the ticket prices don't matter to me. Uh, It's something I've always spent my money on going to games, no matter how expensive it is whether it's overpaying for a playoff ticket or a wildcard game ticket or the home opener. Uh, just to be in the ballpark is all that matters to me. Uh, but in terms of how it could affect the team going forward and just the overall business, I mean, it could really backfire, especially of a year where they, uh, where they haven't performed uh, up to what everybody at least thought they could be. Um, if they stumble out of the gates next year and have a season like this, you could be seeing 20000 25000 or less at the Rogers Center come this time next year. I don't I I don't like it honestly. Uh Ari, um I think that when you increase the ticket prices after after a losing season, I mean I agree with mm-hmm. Brendan that it it could negatively impact the perception and when it comes to marketing, perception is really everything. Um unless mm-hmm. you're putting unless you're putting the Houston Astros out on the field or 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 the Red Sox or Yankees, in Toronto it's going to come down to the perception. Um, and and at this point in the season, you know they're sellers. So yeah, I have to. I definitely agree with that from like from a psychological perspective and and thinking about how people perceive the value of what they're doing and what they're going to see. You know, when you when you have a losing season and all of a sudden you are increasing ticket prices and you know perceptions everything. If you had a winning team that was um, you know putting on a a, a good game for their fans, then they might not, you know, they might not think too much of it, but they got They have a lot to think about when it comes to what they're going to, what they're kind of come see. And, and that can be a really negative impact. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with the marketing standpoint. Like how do you market to your fans, especially ones that you've regained over the mm. past two years with how good the Blue Jays have been they're like, Hey, we had a bad year. Now we're raising ticket prices, but still come out and cheer us. No, they're not going to do that. They're going to go away again. They've been waiting for the team to be good. They spent the money on now that they're good uh, and to raise it. I definitely didn't ever consider the marketing side of that. Like, how do you how do you sell that to casual fans who have somewhat gotten on the escalator of becoming a fan? Uh, it, it's tough. To, mm-hmm. It's going to be tough to retain some of those people who, when you know you have about twenty thousand, maybe twenty five thousand at the dome that are actual diehard fans, but the rest of the people that are filling it out are kind of people that have repicked up baseball over the past two years in this city. It's going to be interesting to see how they retain those ticket sales next year with the uh, ticket increase. Well, I think one thing that they, that they might have going for them, um, if they can kind of trim some of the aging players and reduce some of the salaries with the guys that are coming up, that could generate the type of excitement that might be able to warrant uh, less of a marketing hit uh, by raising ticket prices. But conversely, if if you're able to move Tulowitzki's salary off the books uh, without having to eat any, eat any of it, and you can bring up a guy like Bichette or Richard Urena, I mean, you're not paying him 20-some million dollars. So they might be yeah. able to spin it as look at this, look at the exciting new baby Jays, and we're going to be bad, but we have the best prospects in baseball. Uh, at the end of the day, though, wins wins are what counts so uh, i don't think you can trim payroll and then raise the raise the prices as well but they may be able to take less of a marketing hit 
if they bring up some of these guys that everyone wants to see and are excited about. Yeah, I mean, uh, what do you all think about the way that they close out the season? I mean, if if you're going to close if you close out the season um on a bunch of wins, you're going to leave a better taste in the fans' mouth than if you close on a lot of losses. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if they go, if they go on a big win streak or just put together a bunch, then maybe that gives people a little bit of optimism that they've gotten. They they figured some of the things that were plaguing them this year out that could yeah. help next year. I do agree with that. I also think if you're raising the ticket prices, and uh, as you guys brought up, um, well, with with free agents coming off the books, uh, I forget what the number is, but somebody threw around forty million, maybe fifty that's million. Right. And that's yeah. a little bit after. Uh, that's not considering arbitration raises uh, or anything like that. You got to spend it on a free agent that's going to get people excited too. And then that way, people are like, hey, we raise the prices. We have free money. We have uh, extra money that uh, have come up the books. Let's sign a bigger name free agent uh, to bridge the gap until when those big prospects like Urania and Bichette and Vlad Jr. come up. You, you, uh, it got me thinking about kind of strategy as far as marketing goes. It's very possible that they've raised the ticket prices or, or you know, put it out there that they're raising the ticket prices now with the hopes that maybe there'll be some forgetting <laughs> by come the end of the season, you know, <laughs> like here's a, you know, we're going to put this out there now and, and perhaps, you know, there will be less of an uproar at the end of the season, um, something that Especially I'm kind of thinking about. Yeah, right? Well, let's think we about that for a moment. Let, let's let's go with your point, which is interesting, because the moment I started to say it, I thought to myself, wouldn't common sense and good business sense dictate, and I'm going to start with you, Jason, on this one, wouldn't common sense dictate that the Rogers' play would be to invest in this team in 2018, knowing that it will take free agents and some additional in order to make 2018 so-called competitive year? Because has come out and said, we want to be competitive in 2018, but we also want to... Re- and you don't need to be a psychologist to realize that really doesn't make a lot of sense. Help me understand exactly what he meant in your eyes. Well, I think what you're seeing, there's there's a blueprint in place, and I think that the Yankees are uh, are kind of playing that... that are, are kind of playing that blueprint... Or, uh, sorry, blah, I'm stuttering. No, go I ahead. think what you're seeing is, is that the Yankees have that blueprint in place now and it, and it's successful in in a division that can be sometimes as volatile and as uh and and as competitive as the American League East. These guys were not expected to really contend. They had no real starting pitching staff. Right. right. Uh, but the young guys, the young guys all hit at the right time. Um which that then allowed them to use their deep minor league system to go out and get guys for a playoff push. I guarantee you, had the Yankees hit maybe a seven, eight-game losing streak coming close to the All-Star break, they mm. probably would not have been buyers at this deadline. However, I think the optimism based on the young talent that they have coming up, the fans would have softened – that would have softened the blow oh, yeah. of, of 2017 not being a, a playoff year – the young or the excitement of the young players would have definitely parlayed into increased excitement going into 2018. While the front office could still pitch that as we're still in somewhat of a rebuilding year, but we want to be competitive. I also think that the Atlanta Braves have, or 
laid out that blueprint, but they have not executed it the way that the Yankees have this year. Mm -hmm. And that's simply because the Braves' uh, top prospects just aren't ready yet um, to come up, unlike where the Yankees – sorry about that – unlike where the Yankees had a lot of their guys come up last year Mm -hmm. and really struggle. Uh, Aaron Judge was awful last year, so – so I think that's what the Braves are trying to do. If I'm the Blue Jays, I would emulate that. Be competitive, but still rebuild. Uh, don't You don't need to go into a full 120-loss season uh, for two or three years uh, and then hope that your draft picks all hit and come up at the right time, similar to what the Astros and the Nationals uh, have done. Well, I think it's easy to four rebuild. Four or five years ago. Like rebuild and retool when you're spending money. Like the Yankees yeah. did that retool rebuild with a $200 million payroll. It's easier to do that and pa- slowly patch up your holes with either free agent signings or getting your prospects up there. But I think what they'll, the Blue Jays will do next year, especially with some of the aging players and contracts, you'll see more trades like the Francisco Liriano trade. It's not going to be something that's going to be done overnight. It's going to be slowly selling off some of the older pieces like mm. um if they could if, if Tulowitzki somehow bounces back next year and it has it puts up a respectable year you might be able to find a buyer for him if you eat some of the salary but also take some back from a team kind of like what they did with getting Nori Aoki and uh Teoscar Hernandez in that Liriano trade so it'll be a combination of the both I think and surely, if we look at the Yankees model, Brendan, is that a reason to be legitimately concerned that the team has not only opened a wide window that could realistically serve them well for the next five to seven years, but also the that by money and being able to acquire free agents or acquire star players through trades? I mean, they've added Frazier and Robertson, Sonny Gray, and these are the kinds of players that will make them a worthwhile ticket, a reason for fans to line up. Should the Blue Jays be concerned that if they can't emulate that or find a way to invest in this team, they really find themselves in May of next year in a very similar situation where the leadership that they have and the character of players they have is great, but if they don't perform and fill some of these holes, in particular outfield, second base, get production from shortstop, are you worried that this nucleus as it is right now will be enough for a competitive year in 2018? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, when you have the money and the budget and the young talent that the Yankees and the Red Sox, Red Sox have, I mean, the Yankees did get lucky in terms of all their young prospects hitting, uh, but their window is just so far open. Mm. And unfortunately, with how good the Red Sox and Yankees will be again next year and for the next few years to come, oh as those young guys like Judge continue to develop and Gary Sanchez and Andrew Benintendi on Boston, Jackie Bradley Jr., like it's endless the young talent that they have that's good, but it's only going to get better. Uh, And they have the money to be able to fill those holes. So if the Yankees feel like, you know what, we need another arm in the rotation because Severino's either taking a step back for whatever reason, or Montgomery's taking a step back for whatever reason, they could go out and add uh, a starting pitcher in the off season or at the trade deadline. So they've set themselves up beautifully. And I do fear that if the Blue Jays don't spend the money, but also uh, slowly patch up the holes with some of the young talent they have, they could find themselves yet again from like, what was it? How many third place finishes did they have oh, in a row? Always chasing the Yankees and the Red Sox. I feel that they could be in that third place, fourth place window again for a few years mm-hmm. until the Yankees and Red Sox finally start to come back down. So let's go back to your point, Christina, from a marketing standpoint. This team has players that are young and are coming off a year or in a year of some form of turmoil. 
I'm talking about Aaron Sanchez not being able to put together more than three starts because of his blister issues and and who knows what the psychological effects of having Scott Boris as your agent might bring. (laughs) And then you've got Roberto Osuna, who we talked about on this show last month, overcoming his social anxiety and some of his debilitating mental health challenges in a way that truly has caught attention and admiration of Torontonians. And then you've got Marcus Stroman, quietly become one of the best big game pitchers. I mean, today, just watching him in action, or not today, rather, but watching him in action action yesterday, got this impression that when he's on the mound, this team can pretty much do anything. You do. How would you market these young players? And you can even throw Devin Travis in the mix as a survivor of repeated injuries. Would you agree a lot of great stories and narratives that they can use in 2018 as part of this marketing campaign? Oh, definitely. I mean, you you have to believe that uh, a team can bounce back, and I think that's the that's the ticket is that you you market this as um, the team having some struggles this year, but but having the ability to come back from that, and you use all of these examples to do it. So you know you have a you have a team that that has has hit some road bumps, but road bumps road bumps don't certainly don't mean that you know, you're in a downward spiral. And, you know, to the to the point of being competitive in 2018, what I don't hear them saying is we're going to be a championship team in 2018. In 2018. So being competitive is the, is the key there. Get yourself in the mix. And once you're in the mix, you can really have an opportunity to do anything. You have to harness the belief that in, in the fans that they can do it. And by using all the examples that you did of, of opportunities where players have come back and, and, and shined, you've, you've got all the opportunity in the world. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that one thing as an outsider uh, to Blue Jays world um, that I just observe is if a guy, if they, they can take any guy that has underachieved as a hitter, and the track record of of them turning him around into a legitimate middle of the order bat, I think speaks for itself. I mean, nobody really cared about Jose Bautista until he got to Toronto. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion got multiple chances in Cincinnati, uh, and was kind of shuttled off to Toronto. Yeah. Justin Smoke, you know, nobody wanted him. I don't even think Blue Jays fans wanted him when they brought him back. Uh, <laughs> So, so I think from from the fans, and and one thing that that the front office can do to market that is highlight their ability to find diamonds in the rough and turn them into legitimate all stars, middle of the order bats. And and if I'm and if I'm a Blue Jays fan, I'm thinking our offense will be fine. We're in good hands. It's the pitching that I worry about. The young pitchers. Uh, Sanchez has taken a step back. Um, can you afford to keep Stroman? Uh, if the struggles continue, I think those would be the things that would concern me more. And I think that's where the front office is going to have to really focus on on marketing um, the future of the Blue Jays and and their chances to be competitive and get into the wild card in the playoffs or even compete for the division. Because without the pitching staff, they're not going to win. They can't slug their way, I think, in the AL East anymore to to division title. Yeah, I think we saw last year, just touching on the pitching aspect, the Blue Jays only used seven starters, and yeah, the, uh, the right. seventh was Liriano with a six-man rotation. So really, they only used Drew Hutchison twice. Other than that, they stayed healthy. Pretty much everything went perfectly 
in the rotation last year, as good as it can be. And you can say if they had a year in the rotation like they do this year, they don't make the playoffs last year. They can't plug their way there. So um, the pitching is at 100% the key to getting back into wild card talks and potentially making a wild card two or wild card one. Yeah. you got to have depth. You know, when we're talking about this and, and, and talking about, you know, certain players coming back from difficult times and you have to have a team where you can depend on the people uh, who to play their role. And, um, you know, you, you, you have to have you have to have a team that you have faith in to do that. And and that's a that's a struggle for a lot of teams, I think, is to, is to have have players who are playing their role and, and really optimizing their ability to, to do their job. Um, you talk about closers and you talk about um, key players. Um, that I think that they, the Blue Jays have an opportunity to, to really highlight that by taking those diamonds in the rough, like you all talked about and saying, Hey, the, you know, these guys can really play their role and these guys are going to be consistent for us. And the consistency is what's going to breed that faith. Let's look at one facet of their game that I'm about whether you think should be a priority. And I'm going to start with Brendan. Speed, or in this case, a lack of speed. Uh, I can't remember the last time I was able to sit down and enjoy a baseball game in Toronto and say to myself that there are components of speed or some philosophy that can be used as an intangible in this game for a reason. What are your thoughts about what's happened to the speed game in Toronto if you had your druthers and you were general manager, would you go out of your way to make this team smarter and more sensible when it comes to using speed as an advantage in game? I think they definitely need to add some element of speed, whether that's going out and getting D Gordon like they were linked to before the trade deadline uh, this off season. Just being able to have a guy at the top of your order that once he gets on base can wreak havoc for the pitcher, uh, get him out of the stretch, uh, make it difficult difficult for the catcher to throw him out because he's just so fast. Being able to just take the extra base. I mean, I know 2013 was such a bad year for the Blue Jays, but you saw what the effects of a healthy and still back then effective Jose Reyes was, being able to take second base. Or Emilio Bonifacio, a bloop single, sometimes turned into a double, and they were able to score some extra runs and, and get themselves into scoring position right easily. So I think if you're looking at the one of the top needs that they have outside of getting younger, that's speed. And luckily, they do have that. I mean, Teoscar Hernandez is fast. He could be a 2020 guy. Dwight Smith Jr., Dalton Pompey, Anthony Offord, all those guys can fill that need of getting younger, more athletic, and speed. And they have that internally. It's just a matter of if they are ready to take that next step to being bona fide major leaguers. I just want to piggyback off Brendan's point um, and, and say that when I think of the Blue Jays' uh, offense, um, I mean, I talked a little bit about how their ability to turn, you know, mediocre, mediocre, or guys had performed had performed mediocre but had the talent into the legitimate power bats. I think of this team as like a beer league softball team almost. These guys just back legs swinging for the fences, station to mm-hmm. station. I think if you can't add that elite speed, the 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 next step, and I think this is something that will happen because it's on the way through the minor league system, is just the athleticism. They need to get more athletic so that they can go first to third, so that they can score from second on a double, so that they can at least take uh, a couple bases. And you don't even need necessarily the guy swiping 40 to 50 bags a year if you can field a predominantly athletic uh, lineup that can that can put pressure on the defense with with their speed. 
you know, you guys are, are talking a lot about like how, how the team itself can better themselves with speed and things like that. And I'm wondering what y'all think about the perception that opponents would have of the team if they're not, you know, if they're not a quick team, if they're not, if they're not, don't have that speed, I think it affects the way opponents are going to play against them. And it, 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 there's a, there's kind of like a um, expectation. Um, if you, if you go into a team and uh, playing a team and you're like, Oh, well, I, I expect that they're, that they're not going to be quick. And, you know, I, I expect that this is what I can expect from them. Um, I think it's very different than when you go into playing a team that you can't pin down. You can't predict who's going to, you know, who's going to steal a base and who's going to, um, you know, really optimize their opportunity. Oh, absolutely. I think that when you have when you have athletic guys, uh, the pressure that they can put on the pitcher um, would mean more fastballs for Donaldson. Mm-hmm. Um, it would mean more fastballs for Smoke. Um, the outfield uh, and the infield, they know that they have to get rid of the ball quick, which can lead to errors. I mean, we've seen mm-hmm. countless examples of guys um, – that as long as they put the bat on the ball in the infield, they make things happen. And all it mm-hmm. takes is that one that one misstep, that one errant throw, and that can change a game. And you get a couple of those a year, and you're no longer sitting on the cusp of 500. You're a couple games over. And then to your mm-hmm. point, Christine, I think the psychological aspect of them being able to win those tough games with your athleticism will breed that confidence and a confident team in MLB is an unstoppable team. And when it comes down to October, it usually it doesn't always have to mean the best team wins the World Series or, or gets there. It's the most confident mm-hmm. team. I think we saw that with Cleveland last year. Oh, um, sure, for sure. Saw that with Kansas City in 2015. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll see this. Kansas City was the a team pressure. that many people underestimated because they just assumed they could play them in a lot of good character Guys who are very unpredictable, like you said, Christina. I mean, that's where you get in trouble, right? When you when you predict what a team's going to do and they surprise you, and if you have the capability to bring that level of game to to gameplay, you, you you've got. I mean, your doors open. You know, it's yeah. it's it's such an interesting thing to think about, like the pressure that a team can put on a pitcher, because that I mean, that's your bread and butter. If you can create errors, if you can, you know, be quick enough to 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 change the game up and change the perception, you, you've got you've got doors open. Hundred percent. I'm reminded um, when we talk about the predictability of a, of a team. It it reminds me, uh, it reminds me of the of the Braves team that featured the Uptons, Hayward, and Upton yeah, and McCann. Yeah, all in the same lineup. And while they had an incredibly athletic outfield, just the sheer struggles that they had putting the bat on the ball, uh, advancing runners, doing the little things within games to win ball games. This was a team that won 96 games the season before, and then they follow that up with a sub-500 year the next year with Mm -hmm. with essentially the same core and the same athletic young guys that, that they were that they were making or marketing as the faces of the franchise. And it's to me, watching that team, it was the predictability of knowing if they got a guy on third base with less than two outs, 
knowing that unless someone hit a mistake over the fence, that ball or, or that run was not going to score. Mm-hmm. And you started to see that snowball as they struggled early in the season, and it, it derailed the whole season and essentially set that franchise back, you know, a few years. And um, so I, yeah. I definitely think that, that the front office has to look at building a more young and athletic team, whether they bring these guys up or, or try and find young athletic guys in free agency. Uh, to Brendan's point, I love the, the Liriano trade. I think Teoscar Hernandez is exactly the type of player that they should target and exactly the type of player that they should need because he can do so many different things to beat you, and he doesn't mm-hmm. cost you anything. I kind of feel like the bottom line here is that you never want an opponent coming in comfortable. Yeah. You, know, I mean, I think you never want in, an opponent coming in comfortable. Yeah, I think people come into Toronto comfortable because they know they just, A, can't manufacture runs, B, they don't hit with runners in scoring position, and C, the only way to score the runs is by going station to station or hitting a home run ball. So they've just become so uh, predictable. It's, it's just mm-hmm. as we all talked about. It's, they know the opponents come in here knowing that if you don't allow the Blue Jays to hit a home run, you're going to win. Um, mm-hmm. Steal the extra base. They can't wreak havoc on the base pass. Can't hit with runners in scoring position. It's station to station and home run ball. That's the only way they've won their games all year. And and that blueprint. Yeah, and if the pitching, is- if the blueprint can win games. If your pitching is elite, exactly, mm-hmm. and, and that's what it and was. And if your pitching is not elite, yeah, and if your pitching struggles or your bullpen struggles at all, then you need to be able to beat teams in an in a nine eight slugfest or a one zero win in which you get one or two hits. Um, mm-hmm. You have to be able to do that, and right now this team can't do that. I'm going to close things up now by giving you all a an opportunity. Here for a shameless plug, we're going to start with Jason, Christina, and then Brendan. Jason, tell me what you're working on. Uh, well, I am. I'm still covering the Florida State League for uh, Prospects1500.com. Uh, I got a chance to go to Dunedin last night and see the fifth overall pick in the draft from Atlanta, Kyle wow. Wright, make his Ooh, lucky. State League debut. Very and nice. uh, what I mean, it was it was good enough to see Kyle Wright anyway, and to see a guy who's taken fifth overall and possibly the best college pitcher in the draft. But to see his Florida State League debut uh, start off with these six hitters: Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Vlad Jr., Max Pentecost, Connor Panis, and then Reese McGuire. I think was even a bigger treat um, because I think we all want to see just like those heavyweight matchups in, in the Florida State League, that's about as heavyweight as it's going to be. Um, so that's what I did last night. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jason at the game. And I just started a blog just for my own self because I didn't want to overload Prospects 1500 uh, with a million articles on the Florida State League. And I kind of had nowhere to go to kind of get these uh, thoughts out of my head. So I created uh, an own blog, my own blog just for myself. Um, it's www.prospectstorm.com. And so you can find um, more of my writings there and more video, uh, more pictures. All right. Um, so I am uh, actively building my private practice down here in North Carolina, Real, real Peak Performance, uh, working with some phenomenal athletes on optimizing performance. And it's just a, a joy to be able to, you know, uh, help 
athletes to hone their skills and to really compete with their mental game. Um, I am on Twitter at Doc Real, so it's Doc R E I H L. And um, my website will have a blog in the coming months. So if anybody wants to check out my thoughts on mental performance and the mental game, you can follow my blog on my website. So um, I hope that y'all will do that. I give this answer every time I ask uh, just kind of stuff that comes to mind whenever I'm sitting at work, uh, anything that I see on Twitter, or maybe a lot of my inspiration is writing when I see people posting on a common theme in a certain Blue Jays related Facebook group. Uh, so that's usually where I get most of my inspiration to try to have an answer to debates that go on in those kind of groups. So it kind of just comes on the day of. Um, I finished a piece last night on the positives of uh, Marco Estrada not being traded. Uh, and uh, we saw hopefully what uh, on Monday night, which is uh, the start of Estrada turning it around, even though it was just the White Sox. Uh, but you can follow me uh, at Panacar37 and find my work on jaysjournal.com. Well, wonderful lady and gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining me on the roundtable. You've been listening to Jays Journal writer and blogger Brendan Panacar, minor league guru and writer for 1500com Jason Waddell, and sports psychologist Dr. Christina Rio. Have a wonderful evening. 